if we think about that drop in muscle mass and we what I've observed that I tend to eat the same I also don't exercise at the same intensity it's the same relative intensity but it's not the same intensity in terms of your speed so again I'm not using as many calories as much energy Hello and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Steph Gaskell. And I'm Alan McCubbin. We are both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask. It's the stuff that they might be talking about in their training, or it might be after training in the recovery session. So what we uh, do is break it down, and we invite a guest expert and or researcher in part A, and then we have a part B where we invite an athlete or maybe even a coach to add their perspective. So today, it's episode 44A. How are nutritional needs of master athletes different to younger athletes? And we're joined by Professor Peter Rayburn, who recently retired from Bonn University on the Gold Coast. And what we're going to talk about is, first of all, what is a a master's athlete? As Al and I learned, we were long ago fitted into the master athlete category. Yep. (laughs) And what changes for athletes as we get older and conversely what happens from the years of accumulated training how does our approach to calories protein carbs hydration and supplements change as we get older compared to when we were younger or does it change but before we get stuck into that how are you going Al? I'm good thanks Steph enjoying the sunshine that we've had over the last week not every day but we've had a few days of it and uh, I was saying to my wife earlier it's every time this time of year, when you get towards the end of winter, you get these few days where you go, oh, spring's here, winter's ended, and then a week later, the door slams shut, and that's very much winter again, um, and I think we're right in that period at the moment, so it's nice sunshine this morning, but uh, it's meant to pour down with rain later, so you know, <laughs> you take the good with the bad, I suppose, uh, but other than yeah. that, um, I think I mentioned on the podcast a week or two ago, my website, I suddenly had to move servers on my website very quickly and build a new website from scratch, so... Ten days later, I was able to build a brand new website with booking system and payments and all that um, whiz bang stuff. So, yeah, it was uh, a fair bit of work, but I'm glad it's done now because it's all fancy, shiny new website, which is nice. It's going well. That's good. That's good. Mm. I'm glad it's up and running because I've shot someone up through to your website already, Al. So um, pressure was on there. Yeah. <laughs> and how about you, Steph? How are you going? You're uh, counting down the days yep. to your big five-hour run. It's only a couple of days oh, yeah. away. Well, by the time people listen That's... to this, it'll be over. It will. Oh, geez, I can't wait. I wish I was there already. Um, <laughs> I've been chugging down your muesli, which takes me a little bit of a little bit of time. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I will be glad when I've I've um, I've done that one. So please, anyone. Um, please send me through some entertainment or words of encouragement. Um, on on Wednesday, I'll be running for five hours on a um, very exciting treadmill. I will be in Alan's company, of course. Um, but yeah, please feel free to 
send send through some info. Although I'm saying that now, but, Al, and then by the time they hear this, they'll have to go useless. back in time to send you encouragement. Oh, bloody hell! Well, no, well, just um, then what you can do is tell me how proud you are um, for, for me completing it. Check in, see how I'm going, see if I'm still alive. Yep. Yeah, that, that's good. Good call. Yep. Um, but yeah, it'll be good because you're literally the last participant for the study. So uh, then I get to get all the data and start looking at it and analysing it and stuff, which will be fun. Yeah. And just remind me to not to think that it's a good idea to do one of our studies where I have to run for five hours again. <laughs> I'll do a cycling one next time and you can get on the bike instead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Social media shout-outs. We've had a bit happening now on Instagram. Yeah, we have. We had uh, Sydney Willis contact us. He's a running coach up in Townsville, actually. I've done some work with Sydney in the past. Uh, he shared episode 42A just the other day, and that was the one around nutrition, whether it impacts on sleep for athletes with Professor Shona Halson. So thanks, Sid, for sharing that, and I uh, hope you're well up there in Townsville. We also had another question come in from Tom, who contacted us a couple of months ago, I think, as well. But uh, he's sent in a new question. Said he's a long distance runner training for the upcoming London Marathon, hoping to run 240 there, so fairly quick. And mm. typically during training, he aims for about two grams per kilo of body weight per day of protein. And so for him, that's about 150 grams a day, and he finds that works well from a recovery point of view. But his question was that during the carb loading in that last couple of days before the marathon, should he still aim to consume that same amount of protein, or can he lower that, and if so, by how much? So, Steph, what's your take on that one? Yeah, yep. Um, good question, and I think relevant to a lot of our, our listeners. Um I would tend to, with that, uh, we usually try and get the, the focus is carb-rich. So um, we usually also do a lower fibre, lower protein um, to help allow to be able to get in all that carbohydrate because it is, it is a challenge. Um, also, you know, just in terms of potentially reducing our risk of any GI um, upset with, with having too much fibre and protein in there. In terms of is there a specific amount of protein, we don't really have that recommendation that, you know, it needs to be this number that you aim for. It's really just focusing on your main meals being carb-focused, I guess, carb-central if you are doing that higher carbohydrate um, lead-in diet um, and then just gradually cutting back. Um, myself, as an example, when I was racing um, in the ultras, um, I would pretty much like instead of having a pasta bolognese, it would mainly just be a pasta tomato-based sort of sauce, just nice and simple. It was just an easy way for me to be able to get in the carbs. Um, so, um, yeah, um, that's that's that would be my advice. Yeah, yeah, and certainly when you're tapering, you just don't have that much to recover from. So, yeah, yeah. having less protein is not going to be the end of the world for that couple of days. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, on Twitter, we actually had a trio of professors contact us on Twitter, Steph. Mm. Um, starting off with Professor Naomi Priest, who's from Australian National University. And she said, thanks for the interesting episode. And that was last week's episode 43A around creatine for endurance athletes with Dr. Brian Saunders. And she asked the question, has anyone looked at creatine for long COVID or chronic fatigue exercise tolerance? And I'm actually not sure myself with this one, Naomi. It's mm. certainly not my area of expertise. So I've sent a tweet out to Brian to see if he's across that. Um, he's probably across the, 
the literature and, and what's happening in research land around creatine for health, you know, more broadly than mm. just the performance side than me. I'm not sure if you know of any research in that area, Steph. Yeah, no, um, not not no, I do not. I'd um, handball it, um, yeah, and see if we get a response. Yep, yep, cool. Uh, our second professor was, and I'm probably pronouncing this completely wrong, so apologies, Professor Cal Race from um, the University of Brasilia in Brazil. He's a professor of sport nutrition and metabolism there. So obviously we had Brian Saunders who is in Brazil at the University of Sao Paulo and sharing that amongst his Brazilian colleagues on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, Professor Race said he was looking forward to that episode. And we also had Professor, professor Darren Kandau who's a professor at the University of Regina in Canada. And he gave us uh, for the same episode. So he heard that the creatine <laughs> episode was coming up and he gave us a nice Morgan Freeman Oscars applause gif in response. <laughs> so uh, yeah, great to hear from you, Darren, and hope you enjoyed the episode. And then finally on Twitter, we also had our guest from episode 42B on sleep and nutrition, Cyrus Monk, a cyclist. Um, we missed this one last week, but he tweeted, big fan of the Long Munch podcast. So it was great to come on as a guest. Check it out, or if you're sick of listening to me, it's well worth working your way through their previous episodes. Great practical sports nutrition information. So thanks so much, Cyrus, and uh, I hope mm. all's well with, with your own podcast. Yeah, yeah. And Steph, have you been out and about and getting feedback <laughs> in the real world as well? I have been, um, but I, I got a fair bit um, last week and then I just... Um, yeah, it splurted it all out on last week's episode with the feedback. Uh, so at the moment, um, I haven't caught up on on others, but yeah, um, I'm sure next next week perhaps. What about you, Al? Uh, not especially. I've been busy building websites this last week or so, so I haven't really <laughs> been out talking to many other people. It's been in here on the computer working away. So yeah, no, not yep. so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, just, I guess, a, a reminder that you can find us on social media at The Long Munch, so um, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you've got any questions, we would love to, to hear from you. No question is a silly question. You know, if you've got it, then the chances are that there's a heap of other listeners that have the, the same question. So. Mm. And certainly this week's episode and last week's as well were both directly from listener questions that came through. Exactly. Yep, mm. exactly. So today's episode, Al? Yeah, so it's episode 44A today, How Are Nutritional Needs Different for Masters Athletes Compared to Younger Athletes? And we're joined by recently retired Professor Peter Rayburn. Uh, and as I said before, this is, um, or this topic was a request from two different listeners actually within a week of each other. Uh, one was Angela Davies on via Twitter, and the other one, and I can't remember, and I couldn't find it when I went back to look, but I think it was Basil Steph. I can't, don't know if you can yep. remember that one. No. No, I think it was Basil. So shout out to you, Basil, uh, who had this specific request. And obviously with, uh, particularly with some of the ultra-endurance sports, you do get quite a lot of people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s competing and training for those sort of events. So I think it's a very topical question. 
Now, we actually recorded this interview with Peter a few weeks ago during the Commonwealth Games, so you'll hear us discussing the netball results from the Commonwealth Games throughout this, as if it was yesterday, because it was at the time. Um, but Peter is a recently retired Professor of Exercise and Sports Science at Bond University on the Gold Coast. Uh, his PhD and much of his subsequent research was focused on the physiology and also nutritional needs of Masters athletes. So we'll talk to him a little bit about how he got into that space specifically. Uh, he's published a couple of books, one called The Masters Athletes, uh, sorry, The Masters Athlete, published in 2009, and more recently, Nutrition and Performance in Masters Athletes in 2014. And these detail the changes that occur in athletes as they age and some of the training and nutrition strategies to minimise this impact on performance and health. Peter himself is 67 years young, and he's enjoyed a long career as an athlete himself, starting in surf lifesaving, but also competing in triathlon, including a trip to Kona for the World Championships for his age group, and also the individual disciplines of swimming and cycling in particular. Um, and so he, yeah, as I said, took part in Kona for the Ironman World Championships in 2005. Peter also has a special connection to one of our previous guests, Associate Professor Greg Cox, who we had on episode 22A around asking the question, is plant-based better? But we'll hear a little bit about what that connection is shortly when we speak to Peter. So I think that's enough introduction, Steph. Let's get into our interview with Professor Peter Raybert. Let's do it. Welcome to the long munch, Peter Rayburn. Have I said your surname correctly, hopefully? You've got it right, Steph. Awesome. <laughs> um, so in your 30s, I believe you developed a love for triathlon and you ended up winning an Ironman, which then qualified you to compete in, in Kona, which um, I know all the triathletes um, will, of course, know about. How was the experience um, for you uh, going, you know, to, to Kona? Oh, absolutely a peak experience. And it wasn't just, you know, being on the start line of an event in 2005 that, that I dreamt about. From 1982, when I first saw wow. it on the wide world of sports um, on a Sunday morning, and I said to myself, <laughs> One day I'm going to do that event. Um, and, and then I had the pleasure of meeting one of the original, in fact, he was the first Australian to do to the Hawaii Ironman, a, a gentleman called Greg Rodan, um, who's yeah. now well into his 70s, but uh, one of the pioneers of the sport in Australia. And, um, yeah, so yeah, to be there on that start line in 2005 was, uh, I had tears in my eyes at the start line um, being there, but... Equally as important to me was the journey to get there because uh, to get to Kona is not an easy task. Um, Training-wise, commitment-wise, time-wise, I was married with – and married, still married um, – with two young kids that I – and I love my family dearly and I was coaching netball at the same time because I'm a strong believer in the value of sport for kids and trying to fit all that in and working in a in a quite a uh, stressful role at Central Queensland University in Rockhampton. So it was a, a time, uh, the journey to get there over four or five years of half Ironman and prior to that, um, you know, running and then joining the Rockhampton Cycling Club to become a better cyclist and, uh, yeah, 
it was a long journey, but well worth it to be on that start line. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually, um, you know, doing a bit of search before we got you on this uh, podcast, uh, looked at, at one of the books that you've um, that you've written along with a lot of um, authors for each chapter. I, um, I teared up actually reading your dedication of, of your book, which is called Nutrition and Performance in Master Athletes. But you, um, you dedicated this book to a person called Ronald Cox. Can you tell us who Ronald is and how he, I guess, helped influence or, or shape part of your life? Well, Ronald Cox, affectionately known as Ronnie, um, for any sports dietitians uh, listening would may know that uh, Ronnie Cox is Greg Cox, um, one of the more... Uh, influential and well-respected uh, sports dietitians in Australia, if not the world, and um, also mm. a very talented athlete in his own right. And a lot of people may not know that Greg won a world title in triathlon, in Olympic distance triathlon. Yeah. But Ronnie, Ronnie was one of the early pioneers of triathlon in Australia, and uh, the Gold Coast was a bit of a hub for triathlon in the very early days. And um, Ronnie was a generation older than I was, and I was I was in my early to mid twenties, and amazed that guys in their late thirties and early forties were running, swimming, and cycling, and and doing what I was doing. I thought it was a young man's sport, and I thought these guys were old. <laughs> but yeah, he just inspired me, along with uh, you know a number of other guys of that he was very close to. Um, but equally, I was also not only impressed with his physical commitment to training but I was also really impressed with his uh, balance in life and his the importance of knowing the where family sits uh, as an athlete um, mm. particularly as a master's athlete and just a really nice guy very humble guy very very similar to his son uh, Greg so um, yeah. yeah it was an absolute uh, and it was really moving when I heard that Ronnie had prostate cancer and, and very tragically mm. passed away. But I had the pleasure of talking with Ronnie not, not too many days before he passed, and uh, he, you would never have known. He was tired, but you'd never mm. known. He was more interested in how I was than how he was. Mm. Just a really lovely man mm. and, and, a, and a loss to, uh, mm. to the family, no doubt, but also to the triathlon community. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And um, your... Um, you're a former head of exercise and, and sports science at Vaughan Institute of Health and Sport. Um, and can you tell us how you ended up in this role and what it involved? Um, you know, I, I read that you started off as a health and PE teacher. Can you tell um, our listeners a bit about your sort of your career journey? Yeah, I, I've, I've always had a fascination and a love of sport. And an understanding, I want to understand how does the body work? You know, why am I tired? Why is someone better than another person? You know, what, what makes a champion? All that stuff. And then after school, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was, there was uh, a new degree started a couple of years after I finished school. I was lifeguarding at Surface Paradise Beach, which was a tough gig when you're a, when you're a 19 year old, 18, 19 year old. And, and I heard about this degree at Queensland University, a Bachelor of um, Human Movement Studies. And, and, and then halfway through that, I realised I needed to get a job. And, and so I did a, a dip ed as well and uh, then taught phys ed for seven years 
uh, and loved the kids, loved teaching, but I hated the system. So I thought, well, I'll go back and study and become an academic. So I went back and did my honours degree and then first class honours and then do a PhD and then UQ offered me a job and then a new degree was starting up at Central Queensland University in Rockhampton in the country, wanted to raise my family. My wife was from Townsville. We wanted to, both of us wanted to raise our kids in the country. Loved it up there, was up there for 20 years until the kids came down to Brisbane and then came down to the Gold Coast to retire. And then Bond University uh, offered me a position there looking after uh, exercise and sports science at uh, Bond and, and loved my time there. Great uni. So extended out your retirement until just recently by the sounds. Yeah, and now <laughs> now doing what I love to do and, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, it seems at the time that you did your, your PhD in 1994 there was not much research on older athletes in terms of exercise and sports nutrition um so what got you interested in studying this group of athletes particularly um probably uh, probably three factors i'd say steph um Mm -hmm. firstly no research done in the space and Mm -hmm. and as we know for a phd you need to make an original contribution to knowledge is is the major criteria so that that was number one so number two um was i was a a very um quite a competitive older athlete then in masters swimming i used to love um middle long distance running and triathlon as well uh, and used to compete um, in masters games and the occasional aquathon and things like that um so yeah that that was another interest and also uh, uh, an academic i wanted to an academic interest i wanted to learn uh, about the aging process and why why do older people decline in performance and w- more importantly what can they do to prevent that decline in performance uh, that that was probably the major driver mm-hmm. yeah yep. but what i learned was there's very <laughs> It, and there's still, you know, what are we talking, sort of close to 30 years on, uh, there's still a big gap in that master's athlete, older athlete space. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, why do you think that's the case? Um, I, it's a fairly sort of small niche area. Um, that's one factor. Um, I think another factor is that um, as some people may be scared of, you know, working with older people because of the, the mm. maybe the chronic conditions that they think those older people will have, um, mm. and I thought I think it's that sexy. You know, if you've got if you want to work with mm. elite athletes, um, you you mm. work with young mm. elite athletes. Uh, working with older mm. athletes isn't quite as sexy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And talking about master athletes, um, pretty sure that. Um, Al and I actually fit into that category um, probably a while ago. <laughs> um, can you define what, what do we mean by a master athlete? What's the kind of, you know, definition of it? Well, in any, any book, research paper that I've been involved in, book chapters, we, we typically define master's athletes as uh, male or female athletes over the age of 35 years. Um, that that train for and compete in events for older athletes, um, but yep. that that's a very generic statement and a generic cutoff point. 
Um, mm. In some sports, for example, Masters Swimming internationally, uh, the age is 25 years and over. Um, in Australia, yeah. it's 20 years, Masters Swimming in Australia, it's uh, 20 years and over. Wow. So it varies from sport to sport. You know, athletics is 35 and over. Um, golf, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing 50 years and over mm. um, in, the, in the seniors, mm. same with tennis. Um, but mm. it varies from sport to sport depending on what at the international level the sport decides. But you know, we, we, in terms of mm. research, 35 is typically when we start to see some declines, which is why from a research perspective we've, um, we've chosen that age group. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, typically when people think Masters athletes, or particularly maybe non-Masters, younger people when they think Masters athletes, kind of think of, you know, the Masters games when you see it on the TV, you know, someone who's 95 who broke the world record for, I don't know, the 100 metres or something in 15 seconds or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, that's a huge age difference, you know, 35 up to, you know, 70, 80, 90 potentially in some cases. And so, you know, we kind of, throw it all into this generic pot and call it masters but obviously you know the needs of a 35 year old athlete are going to be very different potentially to someone who's in their 80s yeah and now that's a really key point um is if we just look at some of the physiological declines and in terms of older athletes and sport it's sort of a muscle mass decline and the the, the resulting decline in um, strength and power uh, reduced need energy needs in terms of dietetics that go with that drop in in muscle mass but you know the muscle mass starts to drop around 35 down to around 50 years relatively slowly but then starts to escalate from 50 down to around 65 70 and then really escalate again mm -hmm. uh, beyond 70 75 so yeah and 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 as a result of that factor performance changes mirror that you know, nutritional needs mirror that um, as well. Yeah, so lumping everyone together um, over the age of 35, it, it, as, as in anything, you know, psychology 101, every, every person's different. Um, mm. It's the same from a, an athlete perspective. It's the same from a dietetics perspective as well. Mm. Know your athlete. And, and another mm. thing, and I'm digressing a bit here, but uh, the standard thing is as people get older, they develop more chronic conditions. And, and therefore have and the injuries from the past, those chronic conditions put limitations, you know, joint limitations, um, cardiovascular limitations, uh, medications go up and they impact. It becomes a very uh, multifactorial and therefore critically more important process when you're dealing with older and aging athletes than you can lump. It's easy to lump young athletes in general. It's a lot mm. more difficult to consider all athletes over the age of 35 the same. You need to know mm. the individual athlete far more. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is, and we talk about this in teaching sort of general nutrition, you know, for the general population as people get older, is that we're going to become more diverse as we get older because the possible yeah. different paths we've taken in life get more and more varied the further along you go and the, the more difference there is going to be whereas you tend to think of, sort of older people quote unquote as this generic bunch of people but in fact they're probably more diverse than younger people 
my, my extensive experience, I'm 67 now, my extensive experience, and I've, I've still, all my friends are in Maine, older athletes, it's just the way it is. And they are all uniquely different, um, uh, <laughs> different um, genetics, you know, the nature thing, different nurtures and, and different experiences in life, um, different motivations as well. Um, mm. you know, some compete want to be elite want to be the best mm. most in fact most wanted are involved just for the health and fitness benefits and the social mm. benefits that accrue from mm. competing and mixing and training with um, other athletes that have a similar interest but you, you've got the injury history you've got the training history which is very different from for some and you've got all those mm. chronic diseases the medications that go with those chronic diseases as well and the different body yeah. types. Mm. Yep, that's an interesting one. All right, well, let's get on to the nutrition aspect of this now and look at particularly, I guess, some of those physiological changes you've already sort of touched on, some of them there, Peter, that, that will then go on to potentially have an impact on the nutritional needs of Masters athletes that might be different to maybe younger athletes mm. for whatever reason. Mm. So I guess if we start off with the changes of body composition, you, you already mentioned that sort of loss of, of muscle mass. I guess apart from just the pure strength or power implication of that, what are the other sort of sort of health or performance implications that that brings with it? Well, if, if we think about that drop in muscle mass and we, we uh, know that resting mod metabolic rate is sort of a – in terms of the daily energy requirements, um, calories required or kilojoules required, that drop in muscle mass is going to impact that. What mm. I've observed is, and, and with myself as well, and maybe it explains why my tummy's getting a little bit bigger and my skin folds are getting <laughs> a little bit bigger, but I tend to eat the same, even though my muscle mass is probably decreasing. Um, I also don't exercise at the same intensity it's the same relative intensity but it's not the same intensity mm. in terms of your know, speed um, mm. so again I, I'm not using as many calories as much energy I, I think that that's a really big one the another one that occurs and everyone knows this any listener and whether they're a, an athlete or a, or a dietitian or, or allied health professional or medical professional is that our cardiovascular fitness drops, which, and, and by the way, the major reason for that is totally out of our control, and, and that is that there's a decrease in maximum heart rate. The, the stroke volume, the amount of blood pump per beat, and the arteriovenous oxygen difference, that's the amount of blood oxygen that can be extracted from the blood, they remain the same in older athletes compared to young, but the, the maximum heart rate, which is the, uh, the major contributor to... Um, aerobic capacity it drops with age and we can't do a bloody thing about it so again it means that we don't we can't train the same intensity um, because as we did as younger athletes which again is mm -hmm. means a lower energy energy requirement um, and if we eat the same we're going to start putting on that uh, that that fat mass uh, if we don't mm -hmm lower the number of calories. Another critical one I think that it does impact nutrition is that we lose bone mineral density, particularly menopausal and postmenopausal women. So that therefore the need again for weight bearing and impact and resistance training, anything that loads bones, 
um, but also the need for calcium and because calcium need, needs vitamin D where the research has shown we don't get enough vitamin D in the sun, particularly if we live in Victoria um, or don't or cover up. Uh, we're not getting as much sun, which is the major source of vitamin D uh, production. Um, and therefore, and we know that most people don't eat enough or take in enough nutritionally in their diet, vitamin D, therefore the need typically to supplement the older you become, the more important that becomes. The older you come as a woman, even more important that becomes. So, yeah, there's a number of factors um, that, that physiologically change. Yeah. Okay. And I guess we, we sort of talked about, I guess, some of those declines, for lack of a better word, as we get older in terms of muscle mass, bone density, um, maximum heart rate and the ability to maintain that absolute exercise intensity but i guess the flip side to that with years of accumulated training mm. and you tend to see this mm. particularly in ultra runners like steph and i both do a lot of research with ultra runners and and our typical study participants are not in their 20s they're usually in their late 30s if not their mid 40s um mm. so what advantages i guess do those progressive years of accumulated training have I love these questions and I, I love being asked questions by people that understand and have done, done understand the physiology of, of ageing. But there's, there's probably um, two, three key things I would, I would answer that, Al. Um, firstly, research has shown that older athletes can have a higher anaerobic threshold. I don't want to get into whether you call it lactate threshold, or ventilator <laughs> threshold, the anaerobic threshold. We, any, any athlete knows, I call it the hurt but hold intensity. You, you, you operate at a percentage of your aerobic capacity, your VO2 max, or a percent, let's just make it simple, percentage of maximum heart rate that you can hold and keep going, but, oh, God, it hurts, but I can keep going. Research has shown that older athletes, the older the athlete and the more, ex, more years of training they've therefore got, the higher their percentage of maximum heart rate and percentage of VO2 they've got. So they've got a higher, compared to young, youngsters, mm. they've got a higher lactate threshold, the anaerobic threshold. Um, and critically, this is the big one, they are more economical. So at any, any particular speed, they require less oxygen um, because they're more economical. They are turning what energy, what oxygen they are using into, into speed and not wasting it by poor technique. So, and, and probably the third, third factor is experience. I don't think you can beat experience. Um, when to push, when not to push. Am I going to, on an ultra run, I've done a few 80K runs um, in the past, and you know, I'm going to not push up this hill. I'm not going to run hard down this hill. I'm going to avoid the sand if I can run on something that's a little bit harder um, on, a, you know, on a trail. Um, and knowing how to pace yourself more effectively. Research has shown that older athletes pace themselves more, mm. more even. Um, and therefore don't have spurts, and again, far more economical. Yeah, and I think you really see this in a lot of those endurance sports, um, maybe not so much marathon running now, but still to, a, to an extent, um, but particularly in you know, cycling and, and, as I said, ultra running, that you know, the, the peak age of performance is often you know, late 20s, if not 
mid thirties in some cases. And the gap between um, the 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 youngsters, so, sorry, the gap between men and women, um, gets smaller. Mm. Uh, older women tend to get better <laughs> than older mm. men do. Mm. The longer the event, um, that, that yep. yeah, the older women tend to do better, and I think that's a maybe. It, yeah, the women might say the older women might say we're tougher, um, you know, and more experienced, or just tougher. Um, but also, they have a better ability to utilise fat as a fuel, mm. and therefore can last longer because they've got better fat reserves um, than men. Mm. Mm. And so, it sounds like these sort of adaptations are not part of the aging process itself. It's more just the accumulation of hours and hours and hours and hours of training. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely a factor, and uh, that, that's another one of the factors when you when a professional sports dietitian is working with somebody, uh, an older athlete. What's their training age? What have you done in the past? How long have you been at it? Mm, what's worked for you in the past? Mm, yep. And I guess if we touch on some of the, I guess the key pillars of sports nutrition, you know, we tend to think of things like carbohydrate, protein, obviously fluid and hydration, that kind of thing. Maybe if we start off with carbohydrate, you mentioned, you know, fat metabolism just before, but is there something in that kind of either aging process or just years of accumulated training for, for older athletes who've been training for, you know, a good chunk of their life that is going to change and potentially change their carbohydrate needs either on a daily basis or during training or racing itself? Yeah, again, if we go back to that drop in muscle mass, uh, I think the total carbohydrate, the the stored form of carbohydrate within muscle and liver um, is glycogen. And uh, if we have a decreased muscle and we have a smaller liver, um, then you, you could argue that we've got a smaller glycogen and therefore carbohydrate reduced supply so it it, again it's all relative if that's comparing young with old Um, so overall the glycogen storage total capacity you could argue is going to be lower in the older athlete Um, but per kilogram of muscle mass probably about the same Um, i've never seen any biopsy studies Mm. that have said you know glycogen per per gram of muscle mass is lower in young versus older athletes everything i've read would suggest that older athletes still have that ability to store and and with training store more carbohydrate compared to an inactive Mm. um, person of the same age so i still think there is a need that there's still it's equal in terms of storage capacity a lot of people would suggest that because of that reduced intensity, which might be a combination of reduced muscle mass and that decrease in aerobic capacity, their carbohydrate needs may not be as great. And because of the training age, particularly if they're an endurance athlete, they might be better accustomed to fat metabolism and fat therefore contributing a greater Um, percentage of the energy requirements and that would be my experience as well Um, I always try to talk from a theoretical point of view but my own experience and that's the one thing I always try to bring Um, I would suggest my endurance has gotten better and better over the years because I'm probably I'm more metabolically efficient Mm. 
through the training adapt adaptations of, of better utilising fat as a fuel and therefore enabling my limited carbohydrate supplies to be maintained for longer. But I also eat and drink um, before and during far smarter than I would have as a younger athlete. Mm -hmm. And therefore that's helping me maintain my blood glucose levels uh, to be able to keep performing. Mm. I guess the other thing we have to consider when we think about carbohydrate, particularly for uh, masters athletes who are getting older is as we age, as you said, you know, not necessarily that you will get a chronic disease, but there is certainly that risk. Um, so whether you have a family history um, or whatever it is. So I guess particularly thinking about something like type 2 diabetes, which is going to be a disease of, you know, the ability to use carbohydrate effectively. I guess that's a, a consideration as well, isn't it? If we're talking about, you know, carbohydrate loading, eating massive amounts of carbohydrate for someone who's maybe at higher risk of type 2 diabetes may not be the best idea, and possibly because their glycogen storage capacity is lower, they probably don't need to be as aggressive anyway. Uh, a great point, Alan. It's another key point when we talk older athletes. You know, we mentioned that, and everyone knows, as we get older, we develop more chronic disease and therefore more medications and uh, you know the adverse side effects from some of those medications we may get onto later. But uh, for me, it's always a balance. The and and this is the older the athlete becomes, the more important it this becomes if if an older athlete has type 2 diabetes um, as an example has cardio signs of cardiovascular disease then the 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 optimal diet for a young athlete for example high glycemic index foods immediately after um, exercise mm -hmm. <clears throat> it may not be recommended for an older athlete that may be a type 2 diabetic or a type 1 diabetic. And therefore, and, and this is something Greg, Greg in his book, and again, an older athlete with a great theoretical knowledge, when he's in his chapter, it talks about carbohydrate and in, in the older athlete, um, highlights that low to moderate GIs or glycemic index foods, healthy, Options are the way to go for an older athlete uh, versus if we just take recovery, as an example, high GI foods um, immediately after exercise. It may not be appropriate for an older athlete with type 2 diabetes, as an example. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now that, that all makes good sense. I guess if we think about that next pillar now in terms of protein, and we know there's a bit of a story here, and we were talking mm -hmm. off air beforehand that, you know, trying to put together, I guess, recommendations for masters athletes is tricky because you've got a whole bunch of sports nutrition research that's often done in younger people. Then you've got a whole bunch of aging research that's done in people who aren't very active and you've got to kind of mash the two together and come out with something sensible in the middle. But can you talk a little bit about, I guess, how our protein needs might change as we get older and why? And does that have implications for someone who's regularly exercising as opposed to you know, an older person who might be quite sedentary? It, if there was one of the key things that, that I want the listeners to take away is that there is that need for increased protein intake in the older athlete. And the older the athlete, the more important that becomes. Um, yeah. And it's primarily driven um, by the fact that um, th that drop in muscle mass 
is impacts not only our health, as in you know, longer term, risk of falls, um, this loss of muscle mass has been related to increased incidence of chronic disease. Um, it's been linked to people with with low with osteoporotic fact, uh, you know, sarco osteopenia or osteoporosis. That is a decrease in bone mineral density happening with older age. Muscle mass seems to be correlated. Dropping muscle mass is correlated with that. So we need to maintain in every way we can our muscle mass. Um, now, obviously, resistance training is a key to that, and and, and exercise training. And what's interesting in older people is that if to help maintain that muscle mass, we, we need some kind of stimulus of the muscle. Stimulate it and help it grow um, or be maintained. So the research in, in young and older athletes says that aerobic exercise and resistance training both have a increased muscle protein synthesis. So they'll help rebuild muscle and, and, and if it's stimulated enough, make it bigger and make the muscle bigger. Now, when, if we, therefore, we exercise aerobically or sprint-wise, which is just a form of resistance training, or by doing weights, we also know that having eating protein is also, because of the amino acids that a protein is made of, it stimulates muscle protein synthesis, that is the making of muscle. So we get a, a double whammy if we exercise and have protein. We are stimulating, giving, getting an extra hit on the growth of muscle after exercise if we have protein immediately after exercise. Now, what research has also shown, both in, in older people, um, is that they're with increasing age, particularly from 60 years onwards, but also from 35 up to that age, is that the, the, that muscle protein synthesis is gradually being reduced. But in older athletes, if they're exercising regularly, that muscle protein synthesis, the making of muscle, is still reduced, but it's not as reduced as much. Once we hit 60, it becomes a big factor again. Once we hit 75, it becomes even more of a factor because all the declines happen around those key ages. So it's a very strong argument for making sure that older, the older the athlete becomes, the more protein they have, particularly following exercise. The other big thing is that one of the requirements of an older versus younger athlete is that they need more protein. Be, be, and research has shown to, to maximise the, the muscle protein synth synthetic rate, you, about four, older people need about 40% more protein to maximise that. Therefore, the, the older the athlete, the more important having more protein. So standardly in young athletes, you know, you guys would be more on the pulse maybe than I am with this, but it used to be sort of 20 grams of carbohydrate immediately afterwards in older athletes to maximise the synthetic, the muscle, synthetic, muscle protein synthetic rate. But in older athletes, it's around 35, 40. Mm. 
Now, that was initially based on young athletes, young, sorry, older people, that figure of 35 grams. One of my very good PhD students, a young man called Thomas Doring, D-O-E-R-I-N-G, Tom Doring, Tom did a study where we down we ran triathletes, six of them, downhill on a treadmill for an hour and gave them a lot of muscle damage. And, and, there, and then we gave them either, in a crossover study design, we gave them either the 20 grams of carbohydrate, of sort of protein, or double that, 40 grams um, of, of protein immediately afterwards. Um, in, in, and it was whey protein. It was whey protein that we gave it in. So, so it was blinded with, the, with the other, another group. And what we found was that the, the, the 40 grams of, of protein immediately after led to better um, subsequent performance than the 20 gram and also maximise the, um, the muscle protein synthetic rate. So what I'm saying for older athletes, particularly during recovery, is a greater need for protein in recovery. But because of that stimulus, even without exercise, that just eating protein can help maintain the synthetic rate and hold and maintain muscle mass, more protein over the day mm. in smaller servings. For example, I just had some cottage cheese before I came on here. That's, that, that's my typical lunch. Mm. Um, and, and I'll have meat, fish, red meat or... Um, chicken night at nights and I always yep. have a coffee milk around mid-morning after training I rationalize that it's protein intake <laughs> yep okay perfect also and I'm looking at it here I can show you guys but I, I take leucine <laughs> yep. and I take yep. whey protein and I take those leucine and whey protein after my twice a week weight training um, because the whey protein is better than any other form of protein and leucine is a critical amino acid, an essential amino acid, one of the branch chain amino acids, which is the best stimulus of muscle repair um, and muscle growth. So I tend to take those two combined after my weight training as soon as I get home. Le leucine. And, yep. Yeah. So in terms of the... Yep. Yeah, so in terms of the leucine, obviously that is in protein-containing foods, but we need essentially, as you said, protein is a, a trigger to the muscle to do that protein synthesis. And because as we get older, mm. we need mm. more protein to achieve that effect, one strategy that has been looked at, which I think is where you're going with this, Peter, is to that it's critically the amount of leucine as rather than just the total amount of protein that's important. So if you can supplement with the leucine specifically, you may not need quite the same amount of protein to achieve the same effect. Is that sort of where you're going with it? <laughs> exactly right, yep. I, I am. You, you, by, by taking it in that form, a concentrated form, mm. versus in meat, as an example, then it's a lot, more, a lot easier to take a tablespoon of that, or a tablespoon and a half in my case, um, than it is to to eat, uh, you know, a huge clump of steak to get yep. the same amount yep. of leucine. 
So um, in terms of that, because say we'd normally say, like as an example, perhaps we need um, like 40 grams of protein post um, or, you know, in the main meals, and one of those examples could have been whey protein, when you're then taking the leucine with the whey protein, are you then um, reducing the amount of whey protein so that you're maybe only getting 20 or 25 grams of the whey um, because you've got the leucine or you're still doing the 40 grams plus the leucine? I still do the 40 grams plus. The and, and I've looked at the ingredients here and mm. I, I can tell you on this one, which mm. is a, a body science product, um, mm. sport-informed, mm. um, that the leucine has got um, in a standard serving 3,020 milligrams. So mm. you know, it, for me, that's not enough. Uh, I mm. want to take and make sure, and I don't weigh everything, Steph. I'm, mm. you know, I'm, I'm a yep. common sense sort of a guy. I, I, yep. I don't, I'm not anal on things. Yep. I'm going to have a, a tape, a teaspoon of the leucine yep. as well. Um, yeah. just to cover yeah. my butt and there's yeah. also some research as you guys probably know that having it um before you go to bed is a really good stimulus so yeah yeah, yeah. i typically you know finish my weight training about you know 5 36 and i'm in yeah. i'm in bed by 9 30 or so um yeah. yeah yeah so we don't really Hopefully know how much leucine we we need so much yet yeah we just know it's important but there's kind of yes. no this is how much Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, one of the other things I guess we need to consider, I know Steph's particularly big on this because it's her area of, of interest, is the gastrointestinal tract. Mm. Now, is there anything as we age that happens with the gastrointestinal tract that might change um, you know, how quickly or slowly things move through, how well the nutrients are digested and absorbed, that kind of thing that would then impact on maybe the approach that we might take to the carbohydrate or the protein or the amounts that we have in one hit or anything like that? You know, I'm, I'm would throw to Steph on this one. I, I remember years and years ago reading um, some work by a lady called Nancy Rera, R-E-H-R-E-R. I think she ended up going to New, New Zealand. Zealand. I think she might have been yeah. a, a Dutch woman or something. Um, but, yeah, she did a lot of work on um, fluid uptake and um, – and, and what are the factors involved with fluid uptake? And I found her model just, I just loved her model and I used it in all my teaching. But I'm, I, I think for me, and Steph, please jump in on this. One, one thing I am very aware of is, is there's a decreased ability of the gut to, and by the way, I need to emphasize, this is aging people, non-athlete people. I've never seen any research on uptake or changes in uptake of in older athletes. But I've certainly seen researchers suggesting decreased ability to uptake some nutrients um, in older normals um, and a decreased motility or ability of, of, of the gut to move. Um, I'm also would, would suggest that some of the cancers you know, may, may impact, you know, the chronic diseases may impact. Um, um, decreases in some hormone levels, um, like hypothyroidism as an example, where people don't have mm. enough um, thyroxine to absorb carbohydrate may be a factor. Um, Steph, I'd, I'd throw to you. I'm, I'm not aware <laughs> of anything specifically relating to older athletes and absorption mm. of nutrients. Yeah, yeah, I, I 
think the same. I actually haven't done a heap of research in that area, so I'll, I'll um, follow up and add to this near the end. But just considering some of the um, athletes that I actually have in my studies, um, because we actually have usually a wider age range in my studies, so um, they always love doing doing mine, and they've been in the they tend to be from up to sixty years old, so in their fifties, and we haven't seen any significant difference in terms of mm. you know even transit time um they seem to 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 it still seems to be moving through okay um so yeah not not that i'm aware of um but yeah let me i'll i'll add to it if i do find um something yeah. else yeah. I, I tend to read mm. You know, I get I get updates regularly um, mm. through through Scopus and uh, e- each month, and I've never read anything to suggest there might be uh, any uh, age related um, alterations in the gut, um, mm. specifically yeah. that are going to affect sport performance. Mm. Yeah, yep. I yeah, I have to yeah have a look because we also did a recent study as well where we measured the. Um, contractility of um of the gut as well so we used electrogastrography so like an ecg but it was with a egg and yeah i have to see if we can see any difference between the between the ages hmm. yep. that would help mm. throw some light on that very question we we're just talking about yep. yeah I, i've never seen anything <laughs> mm. mm. yeah um Let's look at the hydration side of things, Peter. Is there anything that's different in older athletes from a hydration perspective in terms of either they sweat more, they sweat less, they get less or more thirsty, um, or there's differences around fluid absorption? Anything that, that we need to consider here that might be different in an older athlete compared to a younger athlete? There's, there has been a little bit of research um, in this space, um, Al, and... It, it, if we have two athletes, young and old, matched for aerobic capacity, that is VO2 max, the theory is that they, they are matched for, um, they sweat just as much, they've got the same number of sweat glands per surface area, um, and the, the, um, the ingredients of the sweat, the, flu, the water, the sodium, um, the calcium they they are maintained if if in terms of VO2 max if they're matched with a young athlete but typically an older athlete decreases their VO2 max for the same level of athlete um, you, you've got a, an elite runner an elite masters athlete runner they're going to have a dramatically different VO2 max now now there's because of that decrease in cardiac output that is the amount of blood that's pumped out of the beat of the heart per minute drops off. Um, and there's also a decreased blood, therefore decreased blood flow to the skin to, to, to remove heat and therefore the sweat glands open up as a result of that increased heat. Then there's greater heat dissipation the more blood flow there is to the skin. There is a decrease because of that drop in cardiac output, there's a drop in skin blood flow and that has been shown to occur in older athletes. So, but they can still sweat the, the same amount. Um, the, one of the big things I would suggest is that there's also, again, not shown in older athletes, but certainly shown in older people, is a reduced uh, ability to sense thirst. Mm. And, and, and for me, 
taking that one on board, for me, it's the importance of going to your area of have, in making sure that sports drinks are used because that sodium that it is a stimulus at, for for thirst. So yeah. to stimulate the mouth and also to help absorb the the, the water component of the sports drink. Mm. Um, I think that that's another thing that's been shown in older people, not necessarily older athletes, but older people, is that reduced thirst mechanism. I think more of a worry when we talk about dehydration is not dehydration; it's hype. It's the hyponatremia, drinking mm. too much water, yeah, where you reduce the concentration of sodium within your blood, because the older athlete, the older endurance athletes, read that in young athletes should drink about a litre. You know, let's say a litre an hour um, is what the guidelines suggest in hot and humid conditions. But a lot of the older athletes are running slower. They're typically at the back of the pack. They're not exercising at the same intensity because they haven't got the same VO2 max as a, a young athlete. They don't sweat as much. Therefore, they don't have the great, the, the, the high fluid needs that a young athlete has. But they're still going to stick to that one litre per hour. Um, that to me is more of a concern in the older athlete than dehydration. It's the hyponatremia, drinking too much water. So bottom yeah. line, weigh yourself before and after. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, um, we spoke to Professor Ollie Jay actually, who's a thermal physiologist, about you know why do we sweat the amount that we do, and you know, obviously body temperature is a big part of that, and body temperature is a function of absolute exercise intensity mm. you know how many watts are you putting out on the bike mm. or you know total running speed essentially mm. notwithstanding slight differences in economy um so yeah obviously if you've got a a slower athlete whether they're older or not they're going to produce less heat and therefore sweat less and then the risk of hyponatremia is going to be greater because essentially you're putting fluid into a body that's losing less mm. exactly yeah mm. i, I yeah. must admit i haven't seen too many older experienced masters athletes and most masters athletes apart from the, maybe the weekend warrior that only trains and races on the weekend but the regularly training older endurance athletes pretty tuned into into that uh, that that hydration mm. aspect but in answer to your question yeah. you know i always i'm a big believer in learning what works for you mm. weigh yourself in training before and after and one liter one kilogram of weight of weight loss before and after, weighed nude, weighed dried, um, it equals one litre of fluid to be lost. Mm. Yep. Uh, practice yep. it and learn. Yeah. Okay, and then I guess, so we've talked about, I guess, those key pillars in terms of carbohydrate, protein, fluid. You've talked already about calcium and vitamin D in particular, but are there any other vitamins or minerals that the needs might be different in older athletes compared to younger ones? They're to be honest, um, we're going to go. We're going to go back to one of your pillars, Al. Um, protein. There's, there, there is some evidence. Well, let, let's 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 go back. I'll, I'll, let's go back before we get to that. A normal population, male or female, is not getting enough calcium in their diet. And my wife, in particular, who's postmenopausal has a calcium supplement every day to make sure she's getting that calcium and obviously vitamin D an important component for the osteoporosis and the uptake of the calcium as well so get into the sun or if you're not getting in the sun vitamin D potentially another supplement that's needed 
to go now to go back to where I was, the the protein. There's some evidence to suggest that um, creatine in younger athletes has been shown to enhance intermittent performance. So you know, a, a team sport, a quarter of netball, short sharp bursts. And by the way, wasn't it great to see Jamaica beat Australia in netball last night? Um, the the um, creatine has also also been shown in older people to not only build muscle mass, but critically, when taken with protein, enhance the uptake of the protein and increase the, the protein synthetic rate. Therefore, creatine may be in older athletes, particularly those in the power sports, those that do weight training, those that do interval training, where they're getting muscle breakdown, creatine might be encouraged with the protein intake, particularly post-exercise. That would be one. There's also a suggestion that um, uh, fish oil, so omega-3s, may also have the same effect on incre increasing um, um, protein synthetic rate and recovery of muscle post-exercise. And another one, beta-alanine beta um, as well, again, has the same impact on muscle recovery. Um, so they, they'd be three. I personally take fish oil, but I take fish oil not only for that reason that I mentioned, but also I took it, I take it because of the, the, the cardiovascular disease benefits um, of fish oil. Um, so yeah, they're, they're probably a, a few of the key supplements, Al, I'd be suggesting. And I guess to, to help wrap it, wrap it up, what's one piece of sports nutrition advice or common practices that older a, a, adults in particular should ignore? <laughs> older athletes <laughs> should ignore? That's a great question. Um, ignore, um, anything that hasn't been backed up by science. Um, um Probably for me, there's a lot of um, push out there for supplements, and you, you guys know, and I know there are some. If you're on a normal, healthy diet, whatever that may look like, you know, I try to eat a very yeah. healthy diet, a lot of range of colours and a lot of range of vegetables and fruit. I, I, I eat very healthily, but. Um, there's a lot of supplements that are being pushed out there and, and stuff that's being pushed out there, but is it backed up by science? Is it fake news? There's, uh, you, you, we, we, did a, we did a survey, Tom Doring again in 2016. It's been published, um, knowledge, and, knowledge and Practices of Older Endure, of, of Triathletes or something like yeah. that. I can't remember the paper exactly, but it was published in the International Journal of Sports Nutrition and exercise metabolism 2016 um, but Tom showed that about 40 to 50 percent of the older athletes didn't know what any of the guidelines were for for how much protein carbohydrate to have either during in normal diet or for recovery so even in older athletes there's an incredible amount of you know, lack of knowledge go along to a sports dietitian talk Go to a, go to the Sports Dietitians Australia website. You know, do your homework on what supplements do work and what don't. 
fake news, too much fake news out there. Um, too many yeah. supplements in answer to your question being used without any scientific basis, Steph, would be my big thing. Yeah, yep. And it sounds like um, one of the most important messages for, um, for our listeners in terms of being an older athlete is to consider the, the increased protein um, requirements. Definitely. And uh, do resistance training. Um, mm -hmm. it, 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 and the older you become, the more important that resistance training becomes and maximise your protein synthetic muscle protein synthetic rate through um, you know, leucine, whey protein, um, before, during and after uh, you, you do that high-intensity high training and resistance training to try and hold on to your muscle mass and your strength. And the other thing, I'd probably um, manage your waistline. Uh, do consider your, mm -hmm. your energy intake, how many calories, how many kilojoules you take in. It, it, uh, Universally, I'd have to say 95% of the older athletes that I still interact with um, are carrying too much weight, um, fat weight, wasted weight. Mm -hmm. So you know, watch what you eat. So now going to get to the fun bit where we get to know a little bit more um, about you. So you're quite the multi-sport athlete, um, as we've, we've heard. If you had to choose out of Running, swimming, or cycling, what would it be? Um, cycling. <laughs> it's a lot easier on my joints. Um, it, you're out in the fresh air. If you're riding in a bunch, you're socialising. You know, on the Gold Coast here, you can ride any time of the year. It's, it's a beautiful way to, to get around and... To have some time to self or time with others, it's yeah, and the low impact on your joints, and uh, yeah, you, you, you're looking at the world mm. go by. But I still enjoy the meditative um, side of swimming and the technical side of swimming as well. <laughs> I don't run anymore; it's just too much of a tear down on the yeah. body. Yeah, yeah. And most memorable sporting achievement? 1973, yeah. um, as an 18-year-old young man. Um, winning the National Rescue and Resuscitation Championship of Australia down at, at um, um, Glenelg Beach ah, yep. in South Australia as the baby in the team. And um, I, to be with five other grown men and our coach crying <laughs> and hugging each other through all the hard work in the pool, on the beach, uh, training hard to achieve. Uh, I ne never forget that. Life lessons and shared life lessons. Um, yeah, that was without a doubt the peak of my life, my sporting life, yeah. Adelaide has a way of doing that to people. <laughs> Great place. <laughs> I'm always there was no surf, that. it was flat as a tack. <laughs> Steph always has to put a, a mention of Adelaide in there and how great it is. Every episode. I do, I do, yeah. <laughs> Every episode, yeah. Um, highlight of your academic career? Uh, twofold. Um, at Bond University, 
inheriting a degree that um, wasn't accredited, mm, um, that, that needed a lot of work and turning it around to become accredited. And anyone who's been through the accreditation process knows what it's like. It's very difficult. We had to completely restructure our degree. Um, that would be that, the, one of them. And the other would be the, the, the young PhD students. I've had the pleasure of working with uh, as an educator, Born and bred, I just love seeing my PhD students go on to be, you know, passionate about exercise and sports science. In, in many cases, leaders in Australia, and if not the world, some of them. Uh, it's been, without a doubt, my, my greatest achievement. And favourite sporting moment in 2022 so far, apart from Jamaica beating the Australian team in netball? <laughs> It was, that was it. I love yeah, seeing it. I love, I'm an Aussie, but I love netball and it was great seeing that team do so well, Jamaica. Um, interestingly, their coach was an Aussie bloke. Yeah. Um, yep. And a lot of those girls, I think apart from three of them, uh, played in the super netball in Australia. Um, the other was is the rise of women's sport. Um, mm. the, N the AFLW, the NRLW and the Tour de France Femmes, I just love, I've got two daughters. I love seeing the rise of women's sport. Um, it's getting, and, and the standard just lifting every single year dramatically. Um, yeah. But in of all that, yeah. the, the toughness of the, um, of Mariana Voss, the, um, the Dutch cyclist, um, who didn't win the, uh, the yellow jersey, but won the first, you know, won a number of stages and held the yellow jersey up until day five, mm. I think. Yep. And do you live by any piece of advice or um, motto? I have two. two. Yep, <laughs> go for it. For, firstly, and it's one I give to my every student I work with, um, and I have a, a quote before every lecture. It's one of my little things. If it is to be, it is up to me. If you want something to happen, you've got to make it happen. Don't expect it to, to come to you which is why I'm enjoying this interacting with you guys so much. You guys came up with this idea. You're making it happen. Fantastic, which is a big reason why I said yes. And, and also another one that that's probably showing a bit of the wisdom of the years a little bit, um, that there's four types of bones in life. There's the, the jaw bones. They're, they're the people that, that do a lot of talking but not much action. There's, there's the wish bones that wish someone else would do something to make my life better. Um, there's the knuckle <laughs> bones who knock everybody and everything. And then there's the back bones that, that take the load and get the job done. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Yeah, so yeah. do I. Yeah. We have not had that one. Yeah. No. Probably haven't, any, haven't had anyone my age on there, Steph. <laughs> Yes, yes. No, we have. We have. <laughs> um, thank you so much for, for your time um, and, and knowledge. And, um, yeah, this definitely will be uh, very useful to our listeners. And Al and I work with a lot of, of older athletes in the endurance-based sport. So, and it's opened up my, you know, eyes as well, you know, just reading a bit and then you know even just that question about gut now that's the next thing I'm going to do mm. when I drop off of here and and have a look and um and yeah so thank you very much for your time it was a pleasure guys thank you for being so relaxed and laid back and, and also equally so professional and well prepared I really I love that 
Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. That was great. Thank you very much, Peter. Um, you've now told me why my VO2 max is fading away. Um, <laughs> it's an age thing. I just don't test mine. <laughs> well, I have to, yeah, because when I'm doing your study, you I'm made me get it checked, yeah. um, made me yeah. get all sad. Well, if it's any consolation, Steph, we're all getting older at the same rate of one day per day. Okay, okay. Yeah, mm. I feel it more though. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so um, from Peter, we did get a wealth of, of info. So um, I'll let our great summarizer um, just let us know some of those key messages. Yep. Okay. So our question today was how are nutritional needs of master's athletes different to younger athletes? So obviously the first point is, well, what do we mean when we say master's athlete? And generally the definition in research is 35 years or, or over. but that's a very big range, as we talked about. Mm. You know, you can have people from anywhere from 35 up to, you know, 75, 80 potentially competing in master sports and sometimes even older than that. So you've got a huge range of age, also a huge range of experience because some people might, you know, have done triathlon since they were 20 and they're still doing it when they're in their 60s as opposed to someone who took up the sport for the first time mm. in their 40s or 50s and they've actually only been training for a couple of years. And so that might be very different to someone who's been training for decades potentially. Yeah. Um, I guess much much of the research, as Peter said, is generally on older people and ageing in general um, or the research is in sports nutrition for athletes and it's focused on younger people. To get that combination of sports nutrition for older athletes as opposed to just nutrition principles for older people, um, mm. there's not a lot of research in that space. Mm. And that makes it kind of difficult to make really concrete, firm recommendations because you're kind of taking bits from both of those and trying to stick them together and, and come up with something sensible. Um, as I said before, we've got two factors here. We've got the ageing process which is inevitable for all of us. But we've also got that training history and that will vary a lot from person to person depending on how long they've been at it in terms of their sport as well. Um, but generally speaking, we know that the maximal intensity of exercise declines with age. So maximum heart rate declines, um, your VO2 max declines, as you mentioned before, Steph. And so what happens is the absolute exercise intensity does tend to drop but it doesn't mean you're working at a lower percentage of your VO2 max or a lower percentage of your maximum heart rate. It's just because you're working at a, the same percent of a lower heart rate, the overall heart rate or power output or speed or whatever it is, is going to be lower, but it's the same relative to your maximum intensity. Um, so because of that, you know, if we're putting out less power um, for that same relative intensity, we're actually burning less calories essentially. So we probably actually chew through less calories in training as a general rule and therefore need less from a dietary point of view. And that will be exacerbated by the fact that we become more efficient through years of accumulated training as well. So the more years of training we rack up, generally speaking, the more energy efficient we become. So we can put out, you know, particularly in something like running or swimming, you know, for the same speed, we take less calories to do that. So that'll also result in in using less calories in training and racing. So because of that reduced energy expenditure, we have reduced energy needs, or it might be more easy to gain body fat if we continue to eat the same amount of food that we did maybe in our 20s and, and 30s. Uh, and that's exacerbated by the potential loss of muscle mass as well. This reduced energy expenditure also means that when we're exercising, we're producing less heat. If we're putting out less watts 
or running at a slower rate, we're not as producing as much body heat during exercise, and that would lower uh, or tend to lower our sweat rate during exercise, which would mean we have less fluid requirement as a general rule. And so the chances of overhydrating, and particularly in those ultra endurance events, might be greater in older people compared to younger people. But the actual ability to produce sweat is not compromised. So if we're producing the same amount of heat, we will actually sweat the same. So it's not a, a temperature regulation issue. It's more just that we tend to produce less heat and therefore less sweat. Mm. Uh, now, we know that older people, but not necessarily athletes, seem to have a reduced sensation of thirst. Um, but we can't assume that this will necessarily apply to older athletes because there really hasn't been any research in that space. But I guess the main thing, as Peter said, is to check our fluid balance, actually weigh ourselves before and after and see what the change is in our body weight. Weight loss, assuming, is mostly from or exclusively from sweat if we're not going to the toilet or anything along the way. Um, and so, yeah, that'll give you the, the best sense of that. And I guess, you know, dealing with that on a case-by-case -case basis, just as we would for any other athlete rather than making assumptions because of age or whatever, I think is probably the best way to go there. We do know that as we age, we generally require a bit more protein to achieve, uh, to achieve the same level of protein synthesis in our muscles. And so if we're not getting that extra protein, that may show up in terms of our ability to recover and maintain our muscle mass as we get older. So the typical recommendations of that sort of 20 to 30 gram serving of protein on a per meal or per snack basis for older people is more like 30 to 40 grams in a single meal or snack. Conversely, that reduced muscle mass means that we probably have less storage capacity for carbohydrate, glycogen. And so maybe our carbohydrate loading doesn't have to be quite so aggressive in terms of that grams per kilo of body weight per day, maybe towards the lower end of the recommendations, maybe seven to eight rather than those upper ends, maybe 10 to 12. Also, we know that as we age, we will be at increased risk, not everyone, but some people will be at increased risk of impaired glucose tolerance, which is sort of the precursor to type 2 diabetes, particularly if you have a family history of, of diabetes. So in that case, it might be prudent to make sure you're not overdoing the carbohydrate in any case, because that might increase the risk of you know, exacerbating that leading towards type 2 diabetes. We also know that bone density declines as we age, so as we get older, nutrients like calcium and vitamin d are going to become increasingly important so thinking about that from a dietary point of view a sun exposure point of view with vitamin d but potentially also looking at supplementation and and just having you know vitamin d levels checked and that kind of thing might become more important as we get older and then other nutrients or supplements that might be of interest things like creatine which obviously we spoke about in last week's episode um, and peter talked about you know taking that together with protein sort of post-exercise, things like fish oil, either from a joint perspective or the effect on protein synthesis and, and maintaining muscle mass, but as well as looking at things like heart disease risk down the track, uh, and then possibly things like beta-alanine, which we haven't spoken about before on the podcast, so I won't get into that now, but these are supplements that, that might be beneficial in older people and may actually be more beneficial in older athletes than in, in younger athletes potentially as well. So I guess how are nutritional needs of masters athletes different to younger athletes? Probably a little bit less calories, a little bit more protein, being a bit more careful about carbohydrate and not overdoing that. Uh, and the same with fluid, um, just being conscious of, of not over or under doing the fluid side of things as well. Um, that's probably a pretty good summary. And then, you know, maybe some of those supplements of the vitamins and minerals become a little bit more important as we get older as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 
And so to add on to this one and um, for someone to give their perspective who is an older athlete, we are joined by Mary Mitchell, a South Aussie owl and a, a very keen athlete who when I was training in Adelaide, I met Mary through just um, taking part in some swimming and yeah, she's she's done a heck of a lot of triathlons, Ironmans in particular, um, and now is is doing ultra running as well. So I, I can think of no one better. And she was always really keen to learn about nutrition. So I think she'll be able to give some good perspective on how she's been able to manage her nutrition and training as um, she's gotten older. Over thirty Ironmans, twelve visits to Kona, and one world championship in her age group. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible, yeah. And she actually has also had some wins in the ultra running as well in South Australia too. So, yeah, really, really impressive. And her partner does just as many, I think, um, Ironmans as, as Mary or tries to chase her at least. Um, so uh, we won't keep you for, for, for too long. Um, just a reminder that any questions that you've got, please um, send them through or any feedback um uh, to at the the long munch on twitter facebook instagram you can listen to us on all your popular podcast platforms we'd love you to subscribe if you find it helpful or to um send on to a, a peer that you think might benefit from one of the episodes uh otherwise we will love and leave you and um we'll see you next week we'll do see you everyone <laughs>